So the Exodus is more than just an event that happens in Israel's history. It is connected to their identity in redemption. If you could somehow like just categorically walk up to Israel and say, hey, hey Israel, uh, who are you? Uh, they might say something back like, we are the people who were redeemed from Egypt. Um, you say, well, well, who is God? And they may say something like, uh, the great I am who redeemed us from Egypt. Egypt is so central to their redemption, it is connected almost in their thought to their identity. D.A. Carson said, the exodus of God's people out of Egypt is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament. And it is. I mean, it's just inconceivable to think about understanding the Old Testament and, frankly, our scriptures and not having an awareness and understanding of the exodus. Even beyond the Old Testament, the Christian life is a life that really is a story of exodus as we exit our sin into adoption into the family of God throughout the pages of Scripture. And so there are very explicit explicit parallels like that of the Passover into the Lord's Supper. And then there are these general parallels that we get to see as well, like the reality of, of Israel who flees their captive in Egypt and walks through the water of the Red Sea to part on the other side new, like we might see in a picture of baptism. Or even something as simple as the promised land that flows with milk and honey and has access to the Lord and his blessing as we wait for heaven. And so these pictures are used constantly throughout our scriptures. And this large theme of the Exodus is there. And as a result, when you read through scripture, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a double meaning when you see the Exodus mentioned. All right? The, the first is a very specific meaning, which is the reality that this is the people, the Hebrew people, who are delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land, the Exodus. But there's also a general view of the Exodus, a larger view of the Exodus that's communicated throughout Scripture. This is the establishing of Israel, the promised nation that is to come from Abraham's uh, descendants, that would be a blessing to all the world, that would be a great nation and uh, possess a great land. They would be God's people. He would give them the law and code and culture. They would be his people under his covenant. And so we see this broader view of the Exodus as well. And it's throughout Scripture. And it really even frames some of the most popular verses we know. I mean, like for example, Joshua 24, 15 is in many of your homes, right? That's where Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But in its context, that's a challenge back to Israel. And what are you going to do? And they respond to Joshua in verse 16 and say, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, 
and preserved us in all the way that we went. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Notice the personal relationship with God. He's our God. We'll unpack that this morning. Notice the redemptive identity. We were slaves and we have been delivered by God. This this picture of redemption is throughout the scriptures. You'll find it in Chronicles and Psalms and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Daniel and Amos and Micah and Nehemiah and the Gospels and Acts and Hebrews and Corinthians. I mean, I can keep going, but it's there throughout the pages of scripture. This is a big deal. And there's so much we could focus on. I mean, I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to preach through the first part of Exodus. I felt like someone said, hey, do me a favor, preach through Matthew. Like, that's just like, there's so much there. And there's so much I would want us to be able to just dive into and to see and to be encouraged by. And I thought, how do you, how do you get at that? And what, what are you going to focus on? I prayed. And I realize there's a great temptation in me that's probably in you when we look at Scripture, and that is to put ourselves at the center of God's story. And how quickly we forget that it is a story that is ultimately about Him. So the most significant thing that I could proclaim to you this morning is our big truth. God makes Himself known through the Exodus. He makes himself known through the Exodus. We'll see this in a few big ideas, chiefly that he is the great I am, and he is the redeemer. And when we say he is the great I am, and we say he makes himself known, what we're acknowledging is the proclamation of his authority, that he and he alone is God. This this proclamation that I am who I am, Moses, before you try to categorize me with a name, back then names meant something. You you named your kids in a way that described them, a way that categorized them. God is saying, you cannot categorize me. You cannot fathom me. I am the authoritative supreme being. And in the Exodus, he will put this on display in two powerful forms, one as judge with the authority to condemn Egypt and simultaneously as redeemer with the authority to save Israel. And it's worth just pausing and acknowledging something. Just let this be a lens in which you hear all the rest of what we're going to talk about this morning. The exodus happens before the law. The Exodus happens before the law. The standard of God's holiness did not come first. He led them out and then he gave them law and instruction and standard. He did not say, here is my perfect standard, here is my code, here is what it means to be with me, and when you meet it, then I'll come redeem you. No, God acts in complete authority simultaneously as judge of Egypt and redeemer of Israel. He destroys Egypt's economy in this. He destroys their way of life. He even takes the firstborn from every house and every herd. And he does it all for his name's sake and for his glory. He saves Israel 
from slavery to himself. He calls a people and takes a people for himself, for his glory. And I want you to see this played out in this Exodus story. So Exodus chapter 6 is where I'd like you to go. We're going to begin in verse 6. God is speaking, and he says, verse 6, Exodus 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment. Notice redemption and judgment. Verse 7, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Notice God making himself known. God says, I will take you to be my people. This is a picture of grace. They didn't earn it. They didn't take it. God took them and his grace. And he says, I will be your God. Note the personalization to Israel. I will be your God. And the result, you shall know that I am the Lord. You shall know me. This is reinforced throughout the scriptures uh, maybe most clear Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 9 God says I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt and so in verse 8 he says I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord this is the reminder I am who I am I am the authority, I am the one true God, and my promises are good. I did not forget the promises I made to your forefathers. They did not escape my control. I am sovereign, and I have made a covenant, and I will keep my covenant. Now, what about Egypt in this? Go to Exodus chapter 7, go one chapter further, and now let's pick up again in verse 3. God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Moses is going to be sent to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and God's saying he's not going to. He says, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Here's God revealing himself as judge. Verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. All right, first a few similarities, okay? These are important. God acts in judgment to the same end as redemption. With Israel, in verse 7 of chapter 6, he says to Israel, you shall know that I am the Lord. And to Egypt, in verse 5 of chapter 7, he says, you shall know that I am the Lord. 
There is the recognition of the authority of the I am. I am acting that I might be known. I am revealing my authority and my power. But note the difference. The I am is not Egypt's God. See, when talking to Egypt, there is no your God. There is no personalization. He says in verse 5, to Egypt, you shall know that I am the Lord, the end. But in verse 7 of chapter 6, to Israel, he says this, you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Your God. The difference between condemnation and redemption was a personal relationship with God. Do you see it? And it's worth pausing that you wrestle with this question. Is the I am your God? Do you have a personal relationship with him? This is the difference between condemnation and redemption. In the Exodus, God proclaims, I am. In his authority, he condemns a people for his glory, and he does all this in just judgment. Why? Because of who he is. And in his authority, he takes a people for his glory. He redeems them from enslaved hopelessness, and gives them a promised land and access to him. He decrees his covenant with them. He proclaims his standard, and he does it all in grace. He does it all in grace. Why? Because of who he is. See, the Exodus, the story of judgment and redemption, ultimately, makes God's authority known. He is the one true God. And he puts his power on miraculous display that the world would notice. In Exodus 7, he said, I will, by great acts of judgment, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And so, let's catch up on the story a little bit. Joseph has long since passed and generations have gone by and the Pharaoh doesn't remember that it was Joseph who had set Egypt up to be a superpower. And the Pharaoh looks out and he acknowledges that the Hebrews are multiplying and they are great and it threatens him. And so he oppresses them. He makes them slaves to the point that where he begins to kill the firstborn male and all the male of all the Hebrews. They put him in the Nile and they send him down the Nile. Fast forward in the story, one day a little boy is sent down the Nile. We know him as Moses. He's essentially adopted into Egyptian royalty and raised there. And one day he murders an Egyptian slaver in a reaction to his cruelty, and he flees with his life in danger. He settles kind of out by himself, and he's there 
when God appears to him in a burning bush and introduces himself as I am who I am and calls Moses to go back and deliver his people that he had made a promise all the way back to Abraham to deliver them out of slavery and lead them to the promised land. Moses is reluctant at first. He gives all the reasons why he shouldn't be the guy to the point that God gets angry with him. Remember this reverse pride, this false humility, I can't do this, and God, you can't work through me, is just as angering as our arrogance. It's all just pride. And in the end, Moses goes, and he goes and he stands before Pharaoh, and he says, God has spoken to me, the one true God, and he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And what happens next is a series of plagues. Series of plagues. Chapter 7, water is turned into blood. Chapter 8, there's an invasion of frogs. And then gnats or lice. That just sounds really gross, right? Just, yeah. Anyway. Flies after that. Pestilence in chapter 9. Boils and hell. And then chapter 10, locusts. The ninth plague, darkness. And by the way, even in God's wrath, you can see his mercy. Because let's just be honest, it could have been snakes and spiders, right? We know that's true. Oh, man, that, yeah. Like, I'm okay with spiders. I don't like the webs. It's the, just, oh, man. Imagine getting up every morning, can't go anywhere, just walking through webs all the time. Anyway, mercy. This is my opinion. Anyway, just, just sharing my opinion. All right. And in all of this, Pharaoh will not budge. He will not recognize God's authority. And so the 10th plague, God will kill the firstborn from every Egyptian house and herd across the nation. I want to read this account and walk through it with you in Exodus chapter 12. And as we do, I want you to fix your mind on the picture of redemption that comes out of it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. And when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This is a big charge to the Hebrews. Verse 7 Then they shall take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. The next few verses begin to give specific instructions to how they cook it, how they prepare it. They are to use unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The point is this is no picnic. Verse 11, in this manner you shall eat. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is 
the Lord's Passover. No picnic, no Baptist fellowship. This isn't let's get around and just eat a bunch of chicken. This is the Lord's Passover. Be ready. Judgment and redemption is near. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and in all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Notice the authority proclamation. Verse 13, The blood shall be a sign for you, and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This will be known as the Passover. And again, leads directly into what we acknowledge as the Lord's Supper. There's direct connections there. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Now listen to their response. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped the recognition of authority. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. God makes himself known. And Israel responds in worship and obedience. Note the parallel. Church, note the parallel. God makes himself known. And those of us who are in Christ have responded in faith and repentance. This picture of redemption is so great. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Go up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Notice the recognition of the authority of the great I Am. Pharaoh knows the God of Israel is the authority. You know, just pause. This is a real quick rabbit to chase. It's important, I think, when we read through this section. Not too long ago as we were reading in Genesis, we see God kill every man, woman, and child other than Noah and his family. Here we see God kill the firstborn 
in Egypt. A few books later, we're going to be in Joshua. We're going to see them go into the promised land in Canaan, and you're going to see them again kill men, women, and children. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with. And let me just give you some frame. I'll invite you to behind the message or something like that, and we'll come back and talk about this more. But here's what you're wrestling with. Is there authority outside of God? Is he and he alone the ultimate authority? That's the point in which we wrestle when we ask that question. Who has authority? And so the story continues. And Egypt, or uh, Israel flees Egypt and they pass through the Red Sea. You remember the story, many of you, on dry ground. And Egypt follows. Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's following them with his army. And his army follows into the Red Sea. And the Lord allows the sea to kill Egypt's army. And in chapter 14, verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Notice the recognition of authority. Israel knows our God is the great I am. Our God is the authority, and there is none like him. And they stood in awe. In awe. God makes himself known through the Exodus, and it is a picture of redemption. But there is coming a final day of judgment and redemption. And God will make himself known. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every knee. The knee of the condemned and the knee of the redeemed. And all will confess. They will all know He is the great I Am. He is the one true God. And there is none like Him. And He holds all power and all authority. He is the creator and the sustainer. He is God. The question is, will you stand before Him that day as the condemned or the redeemed. Either way, you will know and you will reckon with who he is. I think it's this question that spurs John the Baptist, the prophet, to recognize Jesus in the beginning of John and proclaim as Jesus approaches, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is our Passover Lamb. Twilight is at hand. Darkness is coming. 
The lamb has been slain. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus, the lamb of God, has been sacrificed. When we come together as a church and we partake in the Lord's Supper and we eat of the flesh and we drink of the blood, there is a picture that we are partaking in the Passover lamb. The lamb has been sacrificed. The hour is near. Judgment and redemption is close. Does His blood cover the doorpost of your house? God has made Himself known. How do you respond? Is He the great I Am? Or is he the great I am, your God? He loved you enough that he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin. That his wrath might fall out on him, the Lamb of God, that through faith and repentance you might know him as Savior and as Lord, recognizing the authority of the great I Am that falls in the Son of God, that you might be redeemed. We will all recognize the authority of God that day. The question is, whether you will be the redeemed or the condemned, whether you will have a personal relationship with his son Jesus or you will not. Would you pray with me? As the team comes up, just challenge you. If you're here and you don't know if you have a personal relationship with the one true God, I want to challenge you from this point, any point left in our service or at the end of the day, right out these doors to the left, go to the hub. There are counselors there who would love to talk to you about it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit does a work in you that you cannot resist but recognize the authority of God. And for those of us who have been redeemed, for those of us who have placed faith and repentance in Jesus as our Lamb, the Lamb of God. I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would see the great gift that has been given to us. And that it would stir up in us boldness to proclaim the good news is found in Jesus. Lord, thank you for taking us to be your people. Because of who you are, for your glory. Lord, may we sing to you. May we proclaim the goodness of your Son in worship and in obedience. We pray this in his name, the name of the Lamb of God, the name of Jesus. Church, 
Would you stand and would you continue to worship in song?